Hey, welcome back to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh Church in Jasper. It's Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the regular podcast presented by me, Pastor Dan, and my lovely daughter, Bethany. And we are leading Shiloh's trend-setting virtual church classroom. We were doing this before it was cool, at least before it was COVID-19. And uh, so now you are in the germ-free virtual church classroom of Shiloh Church. We call it Knowing God with Heart and Mind because it's all about using your heart and your mind. It's all about critical thinking and faith. And that's what we're all about. All about seems to be one of my, you know, stuck in my my loop here because I've said it like six times in a row. So anyway, time to move on and get over that. Uh, We are... Uh, studying The Great Divorce by Clive Staples Lewis. We all know he liked to be called Jack, so we refer to him as Jack quite frequently. C.S. Lewis wrote The Great Divorce, and we are reading through it. We are chapter 8 right now of the book, and this is episode 9 of our podcast on The Great Divorce, being recorded on Tuesday, April 21st at 2.15 in the afternoon even. And uh, we are in the midst of, I don't know, about week six of the COVID shutdown, the, the coronavirus uh, hunker down. Um, so anyhow, I want to thank you for listening. And we're going to jump right into it. Chapter eight is uh, ghostly vanity, ghostly vanity. And uh, I hope you listeners are have gotten a copy of the book we're using a study guide by a familiar author uh who we've used before alan vermelier and from from brown chair books they have a lovely selection of c.s lewis studies and some other great materials and so we're using this as a guide for our conversation it's not really the program as it is designed but it helps us order our conversation. That's kind of the main reason we use this. So um, after his miserable conversation with the hard-bitten ghost, you remember him? Mm -hmm. Lewis begins to doubt heaven and the good intentions of those who are there. This induces him to fear and, and nearly causes him to return to the gray town. Then he overhears a discussion between a bright person and a very self-conscious ghost. Shame is like that, if you will accept it. If you will drink the cup to the bottom, you will find it very nourishing. But try to do anything else with it, and it scalds. Good piece of wisdom there. I think we're coming up on one of my favorite characters. So, as Lewis reflects, Bethany, on his conversation with the hard-bitten ghost, he begins to question the essential goodness of the bright spirits and why they do not take more action to help the people in hell. Do you think it's ever wrong to question God? No, because I think that's critical thinking. Mm -hmm. I think that the problem is more about why you're choosing, why you're seeking to question God. So, if if you're questioning because you really want to understand mm-hmm. th- that critical thinking piece, if you really want to build your understanding, then I don't think that's wrong. But if you're questioning because you're trying to like find a loophole, mm-hmm. I think that's not okay. Um, because it's putting yourself higher than God and thinking that you know better. 
Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, even in any in any relationships, any natural relationships, I think this is a sign of maturity. I certainly remember when I started thinking differently at some point in my life. It's one thing to just say to a person, I don't understand, help me understand. Mm -hmm. Even if the person helps you understand how completely wrong they are about something, mm -hmm. at least you came to that conclusion by humble, uh, humbly asking for clarification. You know, before I jump to a conclusion about your character and about your uh, qualities as a human being, let me understand you clearly. Now, once you've made me understand you clearly, and I, if I still don't feel good about you, then I can say with integrity, I don't feel good about that. Mm -hmm. and, and more often than not, it's not so much of a statement about the person as it is whatever it is that they are making their case for. So you can simply say, your worth as a human being hasn't changed in my mind, but what you think isn't resonating with me. I can't agree with or connect with what you've just said. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that all the, the effort in the world that you might make to convince me is going to change that. So that's, 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 you know, getting clarification and understanding. And there's nothing wrong with seeking God that way. Um, faith grows through that. You know, faith grows because we ask questions of God and then we begin to understand and gra grasp things more clearly. And that increases our faith. And and uh, faith always comes first, but faith doesn't grow without being informed. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. It's critical thinking and critical thinking is an act of faith. Mm -hmm. And it's, act, it's actually an act of compassion. It, 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 to critically think something through is to say, I care enough about you or, or whatever it is we're talking about to actually think about it. Yeah, like, yeah, you've, it's, it matters. Yeah. Um, too many people just mindlessly write off what they don't want to hear mm -hmm. and don't think. Uh, so thinking is a really loving thing to do. So, yeah, thinking with your relationship, with regard to your relationship with God is... Is a good thing and it's an indication of your love and respect for God that you would desire to understand more clearly um, so I think God honors that but but I think that when you start to doubt God even that's not bad until it turns into resolute you know discontent and disrespect mm -hmm. when you just say you know it's not that I doubt you God uh, it's that I really just don't want what you're selling, you know, that it's, it becomes a, a, a rejection. And, and I think that's the essence of sin. I, I don't think that the garden story really explains what went wrong uh, in a way that's, that's readily understandable. Uh, the problem is defined plainly, but, if you think about what happened, it was, it was their loss of faith in God. It was their moment of saying, you know what, Snake, you're right. He really hasn't been very fair. In fact, I'm starting to think that he's not anything he says he is. I mean, that's when you've had your mind changed about somebody or something, and you start to shift, uh, not just test, but shift. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's the essence of it. So what I see Lewis's character doing in this story is, is he's just, he's just thinking mm-hmm. and he's questioning whether, you know, this is good or not. But when it comes right down to it, he gets his answer and he changes his thinking accordingly. And I think that's, I think, you know, being inflexible is the problem. Mm-hmm. Sin combined with an inflexibility leads to hell. Well, and just seeking answers that will benefit you. Because you can question and get answers that you're not going to love. But if you're questioning in a way that is giving you the answer you want, then you're not really getting the correct answer. Mm-hmm. You're just... Yeah, so you'll like this next question. So Lewis begins to confront his fear and considers whether heaven might be a very dangerous place for him. Well, for one thing, he's confronting his fear, so that's a Mm -hmm. good thing. Most people just hide from the things that scare them. Mm -hmm. Um, In his The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Susan confronts her fear about meeting Aslan the Lion and asks, Is he quite safe? And Mr. Beaver responds with, Who said anything about safe? (laughs) Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. So let's look at some scripture and see if we can see the interactions that offer both danger and hope and, and, you know, no doubt informed Lewis's description of Aslan. Mm -hmm. So Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 36. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. Mm-hmm. Mark one eighteen. At once they left their nets and followed him. Romans 12.1-2 Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen twenty. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Did I jump one? I think so. Matthew six nineteen to 21? Yeah. Oops. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there also your heart will be. So basically, Jesus is always asking us to give up everything that makes us feel security in the earthly sense Mm -hmm. and to trust him with our eternal security and to value that more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. You know, so describe the well-dressed ghost and what her main issues are with the bright spirit who approaches her. Well, she does. She thinks she's underdressed. She's really bothered by the fact that they're all solid and she's ghostly. And 
the like her guide that comes is like it's okay come out we were all like that in the beginning she's like nope they're like they're gonna see me so she's very vain she's very self-absorbed which is the same thing but she's yeah she's really 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 uncomfortable with other people seeing her in this ghostly form Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's kind of nakedness Mm -hmm. um it's a literal transparency Mm -hmm. and some people do not want to be transparent. Yeah. Now, what's really amazing is in my life experience, I've always marveled at how so many times I've run into people who really think they're being clever and really think that they are masking their true intent and it's so transparent. Um, it's not the same in this case because she knows she's having a problem with uh corporealness Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, she she knows she's she's uh transparent but but it just made me think about how many times people are so sure that they are veiling their true heart veiling their true intentions and they'll talk to you as though you're too dumb to know that they're trying to mislead you yeah and i always just sort of have to chuckle at how transparent they are Mm -hmm. and my problem too many times in the past is is that i've made a game of frustrating them there have been too many times in the past where somebody would be so vain and so transparent that it was just easy for me to see right through their their words and their their premise and see what their real intention is and I'd start frustrating them, just just saying exactly the opposite thing that they wanted me to say. They're trying to manipulate me and lead me towards a goal that they have in mind. And I would deliberately go the other direction, all the while sort of chuckling in my spirit. And it's my own sort of vanity when I do that. Um, Better to sympathize with their problem. And that's where we can come back to this person. Mm. What's their problem? transparency she doesn't want people to see who she really is yeah she's used to covering it up and that's because of shame Mm -hmm. and many many people deal with the shame-based personality it's Mm -hmm. probably one of the most prevailing uh, 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 disorders of personality did you know that psychologists have found that guilt is a healthy emotion shame is not right um because shame is often put on people by other people. Yeah. Um, and it's an emotion that can cause, like, serious damage, and it's not, yeah, it's just real bad. Yep. It's okay to feel guilty about things you've done wrong, but when you feel ashamed... Yep. That's not good. That's right. And, you know, it, so often in life we are dependent on others in certain ways, uh... You know, it all. Uh, everyone is born small and tiny and helpless and dependent. Mm-hmm. But as we grow older, some of us never lose that sense of dependency, and that's either cultivated by the one you're dependent on, or it is uh, something in your personality that makes you feel a little afraid to be dependent upon yourself. Mm-hmm. And whatever the case, if shame has any kind of power over you it's usually always inflicted by another person Mm -hmm. so she's being asked to shed her shame yeah shame tends it like once it's been inflicted on you it tends to get really 
it like digs its claws in. Sure. So, yeah, she's she is. Well, and and I think it's interesting to note she's she's fearful of being shamed. That's the like that's the big thing with her. I think she's probably already felt shame, like maybe on her in her earthly life, but she's scared to go out around the the spirits, the solids, because they're gonna see literally right through her because she's transparent, and that makes her scared because she feels like then she'll be ashamed. Which is interesting because those spirits are probably the least likely mm-hmm. in the world to shame her, but are in heaven to shame her. Yep, that's good stuff. Um, God never uses one's outward physical appearance to determine beauty or worth. In 1 Samuel sixteen seven, what did God instruct the prophet Samuel to examine when searching for the next king of Israel? It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Yeah. So. Yeah, that that ought to be a, uh, you ought to print that on your kitchen wall, especially if you have small children in the house. Don't look at what you see on that, on the outside, because, you know, and, and this is really legendary um, business and marketing psychology. Um, tall, good-looking men are just always given favorable treatment and there's always an assumption that they are better. Mm-hmm. And yet a lot of times they turn out to be real louses. And yet some of the most remarkable people in history are the ones that become, who are unlikely heroes. Mm-hmm. And, and so you'd think we would know better, but we like a pretty face. We like symmetry. Yeah. Humans love symmetry. And and I like I like the the teacher that I read years ago who said you know it really boils down to um, the Judeo Christian biblical worldview and the Greek worldview mm-hmm. if you get right down to it because the Greek worldview is all about beauty and youth mm-hmm. all about pleasure and entertainment and a Judeo Christian uh, worldview is is pretty much the opposite on all of those things. Age and and maturity are revered. Elders are treated with respect, and and gray hair and and stoop shoulders and wrinkled skin are all indications of greater worth. Mm-hmm. And and our society is so Greek and Roman in its way of looking at things that we tend to make people out to be better if they're young and good looking and and don't have a lick of sense so uh in peter three three and four what does peter direct christian women to focus on and how difficult do you think that would be in today's culture (laughs) says your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Yep. Well, I think that, for starters, I don't think he's saying that it's not okay to wear things that make you feel pretty. I think that's okay. Sure. It's, if that becomes all you're wrapped up in, 
and what defines your worth for yourself. Um, that's what he's saying is not good because then it's not, you're not focused on the right things. I think it's still pretty challenging. Um, I think that we live in a, so we've all, we've had media for a while that's caused problems, but right now we have this influencer culture where people, young people are seeing people my age and younger or older making all kinds of money because they hawk products. Yeah. Um, without hawking products that, you know, there's this whole, it's the influencer thing where they have, their brand is themselves and they share pictures and videos constantly on Instagram and on other social media and young people get it in their head. Well, if they look like that, if they do that, then they're going to be like those people and they don't realize that those people like they've, they've created a job for themselves out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that influencer culture is making it even harder for girls. And, and I don't think it's fair to just limit it to girls because it's absolutely there, there for young guys too. And it's because like guys have really, really become a focus for appearance and things like that too. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and def like, they're being encouraged to define themselves through their look, their brand. Like, and, and that's even a phrase, and I catch myself saying it mostly as a joke a lot of the times, but, like, the, it's become a popular thing to say, well, this was super on brand for me. Hmm. Because you've, like, branded, and, and I said it the other day, I made a joke about how I was wearing a shirt with a dinosaur and books on it. And then I had something else on and I was like, boy, I am definitely the Bethany brand today. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's, it's okay to joke and stuff about things like that. And that's all I meant was like, well, I'm definitely living into my personality, but it, it's become a thing for a lot of people where what, what they think makes them, them is their brand. Yeah. So. Yeah. I get what you're saying. And, and I, you know, believe it or not that, there's nothing new under the sun mm -hmm. as solomon says it's really boils down to to the terminology we use but mm -hmm. um you know one of your favorite uh uh historical figures now is is um uh, audrey hepburn yeah, yeah. and she continues to be an icon mm -hmm. long after her death and it's because of the image that she you know, she branded. She was a brand, mm -hmm. and which is so weird because it's really about one movie. Yeah, that that image is is really from one movie she ever did. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. It, but well, I but mean, yeah, Marilyn Monroe is the same way, mm -hmm. and, and there were men too that that uh, uh, Clark Gable definitely had a look mm -hmm. that was consistent. Yeah. Um, you know, there's certain characters. It's. So, so it goes down, you know, in history, it may go by different names, but it all mm -hmm. comes down to influence, mm -hmm. you know, and, icon. And, uh, I guess that you use the word icon. That's a good way to, to sum up that question, I think, because, you know, the Bible's simple truth is, is thou shalt have no other gods before me. Yes. So basically if you set yourself up to be your most important being, 
then you have made yourself God above God, the creator. If you look to other people as icons that you want to imitate and honor and, and revere through imitation and, and uh, you know, creating a sort of subculture under that person, then you've created a God. You've turned somebody into an, a, a carved image that you're worshiping, you know, and, and uh, so, you know, that's that's pretty much you know I I think that's pretty much the some best summary of that. Mm -hmm. So why is transparency with God over our sin and shame so important for us if we're ever going to experience genuine repentance and God's grace? Well, I think if you're not being transparent, then then you're still like attempting to hide something from God. Yeah. So you're not fully all in at that point. I think you have to like open up completely. Otherwise, you're kind of, you're, you're like purposely holding back. Mm -hmm. um, so you're not totally free. Yeah. And it's because of like restrictions you put on yourself because he sees all. But. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, you know, Jack's making a pretty good contradiction, contradiction, contrast there because he's saying she's hiding because she's transparent and she doesn't want to be transparent. They're in plain sight and they are covered in light. Mm -hmm. So you could say they're naked. In fact, Lewis uses naked. Uh, uh, he uses the word naked a lot in his writings. He talks about different characters being naked and it almost sounds like he's being, uh, you know, in some way, referring to it in a more sexual way but what he's really saying in so many of his books when he uses uh nakedity mm -hmm. is he's saying that there's nothing hidden yeah and that they have nothing to hide you know a person who can walk casually through uh a world of clothed and covered and hidden people is a person who has nothing to hide uh and no fear you know, and so, in effect, what he's describing is, is that as you move from the gray world to the presence of God, you become more trans or become less transparent and more solid and more real. And your nakedness is clothed in light, you know, and mm -hmm. and so it never becomes a, a thing of shame. Well, I was just thinking about this. So there's a book series that I discovered like a year, year and a half ago. And because I'm me, once I discovered it, I read every book in the series mm -hmm. about as fast as I could. And it's a really, it's a mystery book series, but it's a really well-written series so that you get these really deeply developed characters. And, and that's, so all of that to say, there's this theme that occurs in several of the books to the point where one of the books ends up with the title of this idea um, that I think goes really well with this because the idea that they, so they have, there's several conversations between some of the characters about how brokenness isn't necessarily a bad thing. Having cracks isn't a bad thing because as a poet said, and I think it's an actual Canadian poet that said this um, cracks and that brokenness are how light gets in. Mm -hmm. And so one of the titles of the book down the road in the series it ends up being called how the light gets in. And I think that goes really well with this idea because it's saying like, um, 
if you if you let go of your embarrassment over your brokenness, that's when the light gets in. Mm-hmm. And you just were talking about, you know, these spirits are like these these solid, just beings of light. And I think that's because they've completely accepted that they're broken. Right. Um, well, you know, so. that's a perfect segue for the next question. Oh, well, thanks. It's based on Psalm 139, verse 14. The spirit urges the woman not to be afraid to be seen, flaws and all, and none of it will matter if she will only exercise her faith. So if we believe what Psalm 139, 14 says, why is it important that we embrace who we are, flaws and all, in order to exercise our faith? Mm. So Psalm 139, 14 is, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. One of my best friends growing up's big sister had that written around her mirror in the basement. So every time you went to the bathroom, you had to read that while you were washing your hands. (laughs) Ginny K. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah, I do think that was a really good segue Mm -hmm. because that, that would kind of be my answer, um, until you embrace who you are completely broken and all you, you aren't, you aren't necessarily, I don't know, I guess it's sanctification. Yeah, it is. I mean, and, and, um. You know, it's kind of like the legend of the sacred vessels that are used for worship. If they get broken, then and yet they're sanctified. They're, they're they've been set apart. They're they're holy implements for sacred worship. Then how do you repair them? And the answer is, is you bind them together with gold. If isn't isn't that a Chinese thing too? Like yeah. in, in ancient China, that like when something broke, instead of throwing it away, they made it more valuable so the more cracks it has the more valuable it is because the cracks are filled with gold it's pretty cool in this case the cracks are filled with light and the more broken you are in a way the more brilliantly lit you are Mm -hmm. so how do you interpret the spirit's invitation to the ghost when he said to the mountains you need to go you can learn on you can lean on me all the way I can absolutely carry you, but you need to have almost no weight on your feet and will, and it will hurt less every step. So, you know, what's he saying basically is you got to go to the place, the heart of this place Mm -hmm. where God is, and you can lean on the ones who have already become solid and, and who have been there. But as long as you're weighted down, Mm -hmm everything hurts yeah so read second corinthians 1 5 and isaiah 4 10 41 10 second corinthians 1 5 for as the sufferings of christ overflow to us so through christ our comfort also overflows isaiah 41 10 do not fear for i am with you do not be afraid for i am your god I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Now, you're going to love this last question for today's episode. (laughs) It's about the unicorns, isn't it? (laughs) We're left to wonder, but why do you think the spirit calls the herd of unicorns? And what would be the hopeful outcome of this encounter? Well, if I put myself in the shoes of the lady that's way focused on herself and a herd of gigantic unicorns shows up. I might be a little distracted from thinking about myself. (laughs) 
I mean, unicorns is not something you see yeah. every day. <laughs> so I would think that maybe the spirit, I mean, genuinely, I think he was, that might have been the goal, was just be to get her off herself for a little while so that maybe he could have an impact. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah, we have no way of knowing if that works, but... It's kind of inconceivable, but some people are going to be surrounded by so much glory and majesty that most of us would say it was incomprehensible and yet I suppose they could still be wrapped up in themselves. I don't know. I do love the idea of unicorns in heaven though. Well of course you do. I mean that's pretty awesome. We have unicorns though. So we do. We have unicorns. We have narwhals and we have rhinos. Well that's true. They're rhino they're like basically unicorns. That's true. I I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're right. Well, that's a that's a good place to wrap up. So this this is episode nine of the Great Divorce Book Study, and this has been chapter eight. And uh, you know, if you've been enjoying this, it would be really helpful to hear from you. I say this every week, and I really mean it. Um, you know, through this whole COVID-19 pandemic, we have learned the value of social media and media, social networking. You know, uh, we have a whole lot of products that we put online and people have never been more into them than they are right now. And yet, if you've been a listener to the Knowing God with Heart and Mind podcast, which goes back before Shiloh, I this podcast has existed since around 2008 these have been recorded uh they've been mainly sermon recordings but in about 2012 they became bible studies and sermon recordings so these have been around a long time and yet very few people over the years have taken the time to comment or to to let us know or let me know and that's okay but i know lots of people are listening because the the data the analytics indicate it and so the only reason i mention that is is that we're at a time right now where the things that you can get in place of the things you can't get from church have become more valuable um the podcast used to be a bonus thing for people who missed a Sunday and wanted to hear the recording of the sermon they missed. It became a bonus thing for people who uh, always wanted to learn more about whatever we happen to be talking about, and it just seemed like something that they might be interested in. And, and yet now, this is another point of contact with your church and religious life, if that was important to you before. And if it hasn't been important in your life before, but you're finding all of this very intriguing, well... Here's something you need to know. Church is not about a building. It never was. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of church people who treat the whole thing like it's about the building. And that's too bad. And what you need to know, non-believer, is that the believers are not always the prettiest examples of Christianity. But this book study is a, is a prime resource for, for grasping that. Um, there are many people who vainly approach their religion and get nothing out of it except what it can do for them. 
There are many people who vainly disdain religion and get nothing out of it except what's good for them. There are people who acknowledge that while they don't always see the Christian church as the best example of what the Bible teaches, they believe the Bible teaches something that's worth investigating. There are people who have lived according to biblical precepts or, or, or teaching to the best of their ability and they have come to know Christ in faith and have come to know the movement of the Holy Spirit in their lives and in their very being. And they will make mistakes and say stupid things from time to time. But if you watch them carefully, you'll find that they are people on a journey from being transparent and weighted down with sin to being people of light and real presence with the Creator. Mm -hmm. Read this book and see what kind of people you know, and then ask yourself some questions about them. Like, if they go to church, how come they don't act more like they should. If they go to church, then it's good to see that they take it seriously and live it according to the things they've learned. If they don't go to church, but they live according to a lot of the same values, then maybe we shouldn't write them off as not Christian. Maybe they just don't know that they're behaving according to the teachings of our master, King Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let us be a little more flexible in our thinking these days because one thing that's really cool about this online uh, version of church that we've been learning to do during this pandemic is so much of it involves people we can't see. Mm -hmm. So let's just be glad they're out there. And uh, yeah, I think that's all I have to say about that. Give us a, give us a note or something. Go on the Facebook page Listen, you can just go to the Shiloh Facebook page. You don't have to go to the Knowing God with Heart and Mind. You know, you can shoot us an email. Just go to uh, shilohjasper.org, shilohjasper, all one word, dot org. And uh, you'll see all sorts of, of ways that you can connect with us and drop us a line. And uh, let us know whether this is a blessing to you and, and give us some encouragement about things you'd like us to discuss in the future. But for now, I'm just going to say on behalf of Bethany, thank you very much. We love you, and we are honored that you would listen to this. And that's all for now. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.